You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. I'm also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Eagle River. Uh, shout out to <laughs> one of our followers that uh, saw Jim Rome mentioning that he is uh, kicking it in Eagle River, Eagle River, Wisconsin today, uh, and was sure to tell him that he should go check out the ESPN affiliate there in Eagle River. Uh, say hello to me. Unfortunately, I was not at the Eagle River affiliate this week. That'll have to be on the on the to do list. I'll have to head out there, and, and maybe Jim Rome was able to stop by and and check on everything going on there for me. Um, we'll see if that was the case. Uh, I am going to be joined by my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Very very shortly, as you all should remember from yesterday's podcast, uh, we are in the middle of a mailbag. Uh, this is going to take up the rest of our week, and essentially, this is what it is going to happen. I'm going to have a nice little intro. I will get us all ready to go. I will have us prepared, uh, and then we will get into uh, the next part of the mailbag. Uh, this is day two of that mailbag. A lot of fun stuff. A lot of fun stuff in today's conversation. And uh, oddly enough, uh, we didn't really plan it out this way, but there's kind of little portions of conversations in each of the day that in each of the days, like it'll be four episodes, but like in each of the episodes, there is some stuff that kind of weaves together. So, uh, hopefully, you know, you are listening to each part and there should be, uh, some portions that will reference some of the questions earlier and and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it should all weave together, but also it split together. It's split apart, excuse me. Um, so I, I think it works out pretty well and hopefully you guys are enjoying that. A little bit of news today, uh, as the bucks kind of, Went on a signing spree. Uh, Jalen Morris was someone that we've talked about. Uh, I think we talk about him later on in in the mailbag, maybe in day three or day four uh, coming up here. But the Bucks made that official. That was just uh, something that had been reported. But the Bucks make it official that they're signing Jalen Morris to a two-way contract. Uh, appeared in six games for the Hawks last year. Uh, didn't do a heck of a lot in those games. Uh, but he was with the G League affiliate, the Erie Bayhawks. Uh, played and started 39 games for them. Averaged 12.5 points. Almost five rebounds. Two and a half assists. Uh, just over one steal in 31 minutes per game. So not overly impressive stuff for Morris but obviously you can see someone that was uh, quite comfortable with the coaching staff that was in Atlanta which is obviously now here in Milwaukee uh, and then also in Oshkosh so uh, a lot of familiarity there uh, for why Jalen Morris would be one of the Bucks two ways and we'll see what he can do there uh, other signings the Bucks signed two guys to training camp contracts one is Travis Trice Trice has been around the team now for ugh, 
I think he's been with the Bucks in in some regard uh, with summer league or training camp stuff for the last three years. Maybe it's just the last two years, but he has been around for the Bucks uh, and he has been a part of summer league teams and uh, I think a couple training camps now. So he will be back. He's 25 years old. Then the other person is Brandon McCoy. Uh, He played just one season at UNLV and was named the Mountain West Freshman of the Year. That happened this past year uh, where he averaged almost 17 points per game, 10 rebounds per game. And I mean, I just think kind of an interesting uh, guy to have a flyer on and to have in for training camp he is six foot 11 uh and put up some numbers and you know maybe you'll see if he can catch on but uh the bucks want to give him the chance at training camp so we'll have to keep an eye on that not overly important news but still news nonetheless and something that i wanted to update before we got into the mailbag which is exactly what we will do right now frank take it over okay let's get into some of these other questions um i'm gonna call this the making moves uh, section. So we'll start with a couple questions, somewhat related. Actually, let's say three questions are somewhat related. Um, at Marquette G asked, do the Bucks make a significant trade before the start of the season? I'll define significant as acquiring or moving someone that plays 18 plus minutes per game. Meanwhile, Muppet Babies 31, still one of my favorite uh, hash, uh, screen screen names, handles, whatever we call them, uh, at this bangover. Um, Asks, if you had to guess two players not named Jennings and Zeller that wouldn't be on this roster come April, who would it be? Um, and Nick Herring asked, also, do you foresee any additions moves being made after Telly comes off the books? Um, I'll say this. I I don't actually think that I, at this point, I mean, I don't think there were, I don't really expect a move uh, before training camp at this point. You know, again, I think obviously like teams have sort of settled in and, and not that teams aren't still trying to improve rosters, but my guess is that Probably nothing would happen before before camp for the start of the season. Um, you know, Toledovich, if he is uh, ruled uh, medically retired as sort of expected, it doesn't really change anything in terms of like like the. It's not like the Bucks get an extra roster spot. Like he's already not counting as a roster spot, and yeah. they're not really close to the luxury tax anyway at this point. So there's not really like a functional impact um, at this point for for Tulevich coming off the book. So I don't think that necessarily would really change. You know, moves. I think again. You, I think that played into some of the moves you saw, obviously, with um, obviously Urson Alisova being signed to sort of be the Toledovich replacement um, in a lot of ways, slash the Jabari replacement. Um, I think if if I had to guess two players who could potentially be moved before next spring, um, I mean, the biggest name guy that I, I could see being moved would be Bledsoe, just because Agreed. I just don't know if. He's going to be a quote-unquote bud guy. Um, but I, as I've said slash alluded to, I'm also a little wary of just giving Bledsoe away um, because, again, I think he was a – I would say he was a more productive, more effective player than people in many ways. Like like you wouldn't guess it from maybe the discourse around him. That playoff series didn't help him any. No, like, it, sure. he had that great end of the season. Like, I mean, he was really great for the last like month and a half of the season, and then Rozier just played him out of the gym. And I just don't think anyone has been able to remove that taste from their mouth. Right, but I think even as he was having like basically from like February, February, March, April, he was really, really good. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think even as that was going on, I think a lot of people weren't necessarily feeling like <laughs> he actually was playing well. I mean, he was arguably. Yeah 
this is Buck's second best player behind Giannis at that point. And you know, you look at some of the advanced numbers. You know, we've mentioned Chris not having the really his best year as far as some of the advanced metrics like RPM things like that. I mean, Bledsoe was better by a number of those metrics than than Middleton last year. Um, and again, I think you know, obviously questions around Bledsoe's fit and his lack of you know knockout knockdown shooting, and obviously that's not something that that you would you know you get excited about <laughs> saying that when when you've got Giannis in the court. But um, but I think Bledsoe also sort of benefits from probably playing with a, a team that's now being fashioned to to be able to spread the court more, right? I mean, we talk about Brooke Lopez helping um, Giannis spread the court or spread the court for Giannis, but. I mean, same goes for Eric Bledsoe. Um, mm-hmm. Eric Bledsoe for for a point guard is an elite slasher. So, um, so I don't know, but but I you know you just do get that feeling with him being expiring contract. Do the Bucks really see him as a long term piece? I think that's certainly obviously something that would I would say most people do not see him as a long term piece. So um, he's a guy that yeah, I mean, do the Bucks make some kind of move mid season to bring in somebody else? That that wouldn't surprise me at all. Other than that, um, I mean, we've obviously talked a lot about. Uh, about John Henson and Della Vadova being potential salary uh, casualties. Again, I'll just say those guys are harder to move just because of those contracts. And again, like you can move them for other not great contracts. I mean, there's no such, yeah. they're not, it's like they're like unmovable, but you're not going to just dump them for an expiring most likely. That said, I will say the other guy most likely to be gone by next, by the next trade deadline. Um, how about DJ Wilson? Um, and again, not to kick sand into DJ Wilson's face, but, uh, he had some moments in Vegas, but you know, for the most part, really the burden is on him to prove this camp that he deserves to have his option picked up. And I think that's probably, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what the odds are for him getting his option picked up for next, for not this coming season, but the year after. And, um, I mean, if the Bucks decide, Hey, we'd rather not, you know, be locked into paying him $3 million in 2019, 20, which Again, for salary flexibility reasons, there's a good argument for just saying, you know what, DJ, you just haven't shown us enough. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and if that happens, then you know that he's you know a guy who's who's effectively an expiring deal is an obvious guy to potentially be thrown in as you know part of another trade or whatever it might be. Um, given he's you know a two and a half million dollar contract and you know would be easy to to move as part of a bigger package at that point. So um, so I would not be surprised at all. If, I'd maybe say DJ Wilson could even be more likely than than some of those other guys just because you know some of those other contracts are bigger. But again, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm just going and trying too hard to find somebody not as obvious <laughs> by picking him. But um, but yeah, I'll go with the Bledsoe and DJ Wilson combination, which maybe is is not what people would have expected. But but I'll throw those names out. I think if you want two players. Um, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to combine these. So I don't see Henson getting moved without Del Vidova, and I don't see Del Vidova getting moved without Henson. I think if you're moving them, you're moving them combined for a contract that you know might not be as palatable, probably about the same length of time, um, but you're probably just going to have to move both of them to get rid of that. And the hope would be, you know, you're – you're trading two bad contracts for another bad contract, but hopefully that other bad contract guy that's getting paid, what would that be? 16 to 20 million for it to work. Um, somewhere around there. Um, you're trading for a guy that's probably overpaid, but also could be actively helpful on the roster um, and could be a part of a, a nine to 10 man rotation while, you know, Delvadova and Henson might be struggling for minutes uh, this year. So that I, I would say that if one of those is getting moved, I think both of them are getting moved because otherwise I'm not sure how a deal gets done. Uh, 
Bledsoe's a good one uh, to go back to the first part of the question uh, from Marquette G. Do the Bucks make a significant trade before the start of the season? I think if there's a significant one to be made, it would be with Bledsoe. Um, but for the most part, uh, like you said, I think a lot of teams are locked. I don't want to say locked in, but uh, they're they're locked on their upcoming rosters uh, for the upcoming season. Is there, you know, getting pretty close and you don't really want to make a ton more changes and i think most teams feel pretty confident with it with where they are and you know the idea of adding someone as a buyout or something like that as the year goes on so bledsoe would be the significant one before the start of the season um he would also be i think to me included in that kind of uh group of guys that you know wouldn't be on the roster come april i i think dj wilson's an interesting one um and then i think part of me wonders if if anything happens with malcolm brogdon um we've kind of talked about him and uh his his extension in the past uh he will be on uh the last year of his deal this year i don't know how likely it is that the bucks get an extension done with him before the season uh you know maybe that is something that they're able to figure out and again maybe it isn't something that they're able to figure out so that would be the only other one but as you mentioned with your dj wilson guess that's me trying to go uh a little bit further outside the box uh with someone that i don't think will be traded but you know if i have to come up with a list of names i'll throw him on there as well All right, a couple more from Nick Caring. Do you uh, does Xavier Munford have a chance to make the team, and what kind of chance will Pat Connaughton play? Um, I don't. I assume Xavier Munford will not make the. And I just I'm basing this purely on the fact that the Bucks have now filled their two um, two way slots with yep. people who are not Xavier Munford, um, and so Tre- Trevon Duval and, and Jalen Morris, um, and then uh, again, like really not roster spots for for him otherwise so i think you know again for xavier munford you know really didn't seem to um make any impression like when he was with the team last year um he was a guy (laughs) if it was an impression it was a negative impression yeah i mean he's a guy who's who's been really good in the g in the g league but um you know even with all the struggles for for point guard minutes never really got a chance to, to even play uh in the spring and you know, in the kind of random couple times they did play, it didn't really look like he was necessarily ready for the opportunity or didn't really seize the moment. So, um, I, I, and I mean, again, I wouldn't close the book on him, maybe figuring something out at some point, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen in Milwaukee most likely. And then what kind of minutes will Connaughton play? I, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I would be surprised None. if he was, <laughs> I would be surprised if he was a regular rotation guy. I'll say that. Um, I think he's a guy that probably comes in knowing that he's, uh, you know, going to have to really, um, probably need some luck, you know, maybe some injuries, uh, um, and see some season opportunity to play when maybe other guys aren't available or something like that. But I just, I don't really foresee him beating out a lot of these other guys. Um, and on that topic, uh, Clint at Clint Bucks 84 starts a shot to ESPN Burlington, chocolate city, USA. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to read that off Eric, cause you're the, you're the ESPN affiliate shouter outer. Um, but I just did. And then Clint's actual question with a roster of more twos and threes, Brogdon, Brown, Al Connaughton, DDV, Middleton. Do you think we see more Giannis at center and crunch time in big games? I Celtics and West teams and Chris at the four. Um, so likewise, uh, E Manon, uh, asked, um, on Giannis rest nights, what does your four rotation look like? Ernest or Ersan, Chris Brown, Wilson. Should we I'm not answering that question. 
Or would you prefer to wave Zeller and Cypheris? No? I'm not going to talk about Giannis Rest Nights. I do not care about Giannis Rest Nights. Uh, though, like, there's, you know, maybe with his knee, there will be some this year, but I will tell you this right now. Um, I know it is the end of July, beginning of August, and we are trying to figure out uh, a way to fill up these podcasts, but uh, Giannis Rest Night discussion is, is a bridge too far for me. All right. Well, what about what about Giannis at center in crunch time with Chris at the four? Do you foresee that being a thing this year? We've talked about it ad nauseum. It's never really been a thing. Will it be a thing this year? Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's a thing until it looks good. When Giannis at a center, uh, when Giannis at the center lineups look good, I I think then they can become a thing. And again, maybe that happens overnight with Mike Boonholzer and his staff finds a smart way to go about this and uh, you know actively play shooters um, around Giannis at the five, uh, which was something that Jason and Joe did not love to do. Hey Shabazz, how you doing, buddy? Um, and I just think as you kind of think through all that, like it's got to be productive for it to happen. Um, so I think there's, you know, maybe the, a greater possibility of that, but also I don't particularly like Chris at the four. I don't know that that's a good look for the bucks. Uh, uh, he is, you know, Can I give you some numbers, Eric. I'd love some numbers. What do you got? Well, I, I agree. Um, and we were joking before the podcast. Um, I made a comment that I, I always enjoy it when I find data that, that job, sort of my, my gut, my eye test tells me in this past year, Chris Middleton at the small forward position, 74% of his minutes, Bucks were a plus 4.3 net rating, um, almost 112 points per 100 score at 107, allowed both above average um, in a good way. Uh, Chris Middleton at power forward this year, 23% of his minutes, minus seven points per 100. They scored reasonably well, 109 points per 100, but they were terrible defensively with Chris the four, 116 points per 100. Um, so yeah, Chris at the four minutes, not great. And as far as Giannis and Chris at the big spots in general, last year, 215 possessions per cleaning the glass, uh, almost minus five points per 100, mainly because they were just really bad defensively, um, with Giannis at the four, Chris, uh, sorry, Chris at the four, Giannis at the five. So, um, your, your instincts are, are correct that Chris at the four, and again, maybe, maybe, maybe this can be reimagined, reinvented with new yeah. coaching, but, um, I, I would say there are probably some more fundamental reasons why, Chris is better for three. And um, again, I, I think that's one reason why I would like to maybe see, um, I would have liked to maybe seen one more combo forward picked up for depth so that Chris wouldn't have to play a ton of time, um, especially at the four, because I think that wore him down and was part of the reason why he maybe wasn't as good defensively last year, because he was playing a lot of minutes and a lot of those marginal minutes were at the four where he's just not as good. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, and- Am I, am I crazy here? Where are these minutes at the four? Like, where's the Bucks' lack of depth at the four? Because they don't have three fours to play this year? Yeah, I mean, I guess like last year, right? I mean, Giannis obviously didn't miss a lot of games. Um, I think I think probably part of the issue was you had Jabari out the first half of last year, right? And Toledovic goes out really early, right? Yeah. And if Toledovic had been healthy, I don't think it really would have been a pronounced issue. I don't know how much four Chris plays if if Toledovic right. is healthy but you lose Toledovic early and then you don't have Jabari until I guess February or whatever it was so um so I think it was that it was that really that kind of middle period probably that was the the reason for it and and like we said I mean like that first first game of Phoenix where Giannis was out and he was his first game resting Bucks literally had no power forwards and yep. DJ Wilson still doesn't play a minute right or yep. I don't think he played at all so um so yeah I mean I think it's uh it's it's something this year again if they're healthy yeah Giannis Ursan, 
those guys obviously gobble up most of the minutes there. Um, but again, if Giannis has some rest nights or Ursan, you know, goes on the shelf for a few weeks here or there, then I think certainly Chris might be an obvious guy that gets bumped up into the four spot. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like, I, I just think there's, I don't like, I don't really see holes in, in this lineup. Like I, I think there's pretty solid depth at just about every position. I've talked about this before, but like, I, I don't, it's kind of weird to think about, you know, some of the injuries that happened last year and the timing of those injuries. Like you have Mirza out at the same time as Jabari. So you have some overlap there. You have Brogdon out at the same time as Delhi, So you have some very clear overlap there and you're trying to figure out how to parse all this together. And there will certainly be, uh, there will certainly be injuries this year, but uh, you know, as I look through it, like I think there's, if anything, a guy like Connaughton that people are excited about, like there's no minutes for him. Like there's, I I don't see any. Like I, I don't know how he would get on the floor. And then you're looking at like Dante Divincenzo, first round pick. I don't know if I see a ton of minutes for him there. Like if we do think uh, Hawks University is going to help out Sterling Brown, um, I think most of the minutes are filled at the one, two, and three spots uh, on this roster. So like injuries will definitely happen, and you know that will that'll mean some of these guys get chances. But like I don't. I don't necessarily know that I think through this team as, uh, you know, particularly overweight at any position. Like, I don't think they're heavy at the five. I don't think they're heavy at the two and the three. Like, I just think they they have some nice depth this year. Yeah, Douglas Name had asked, what's the guard rotation going to look like? Bledsoe, Snell, Brogdon, Delhi, Comet TV. Um, you kind of got at that uh, answer probably just now um, as far as, like, what, what do we see there? Um, I, I mean, obviously, Bledsoe would be the main guy. Um, but you have Brogdon and Delhi. I'm really curious because, like, with Delhi, it seemed like under Jason Kidd, Delville was always going to see 15 minutes no matter what. Yep. Um, they would just find a way to shoot home and horn him into lineups. I'm curious with, with you know, but Budenholzer, like, who are his kind of favorites going to be? Um, and, and you know, what is the kind of net 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 for these guys in terms of their minutes? Um, and we mentioned Snell seems like a guy who could be uh, maybe one of the leading candidates to get a bump in terms of, role and again not that Tony Snell is suddenly going to take like you know 10 shots a game or something like that which would be a lot for him um but just in terms of like getting a more consistent impactful version of Tony Snell like I, th- I think certainly Mike Budenholzer has a better chance of getting that but I think Brogdon is is a Brogdon is a really interesting player um and we had a couple questions um we had a question a couple questions about let me just let me just find these because I think they're they're interesting um let me see here um so Tony and Anthony uh Zeno asks do you foresee a Brogdon ascension this offseason? Um, and then I think we may have had at least one other question about Brogdon. I'm not seeing it right now. But but I think Brogdon is interesting, though, because it's like, man, I mean, let, let's assume, a you know, an ex- and I have to look up what the exact extension he'd be eligible for. But as we talked about, you know, it's, it'd be similar to what Josh Richardson and Norman Powell got in previous years where it's, you know, it's it, it's going to be in excess of $10 million a year over four years. So, you know, let's, I mean, I'm just going to throw out a number. I look, it's four years, like $46 million yeah. or something like that, right? Um I, I just again we've talked about it that's in that dead zone of contract values I mean to me you only give him that contract if you think Malcolm Brogdon is your starting point guard of the future yeah if you think Bledsoe's you know just going to be starting this year because you can't bring him off the bench and really though you think Brogdon's your guy then that then I guess yeah you could talk yourself into it but I I just I I'm not there um and I think especially given that he's got such a small cap hold next summer any flexibility 
potential flexibility would be dependent on on not giving him that kind of contract this this offseason. So I I don't foresee him getting that extension. I think it's a big big year for Brogdon to sort of just figure out what he is and how he fits in with the rest of this roster. Um, he's a versatile guy. I think he's certainly a guy who could benefit from Mike Budenholzer's tutelage, but um, he's also a guy who I don't know if he really fits into a big money slot on your roster, if that makes sense, like in terms of a role. Um, I, I still feel like he's more of a six man than than a starting shooting guard or, or starter period. Um, you know, obviously, I don't think he's better than Bledsoe. Um, but but I don't know. I mean, what what's your what, what's in your your crystal ball from for Malcolm Brogdon this year? I mean, this is sort of the reason why I'd mentioned him as a you know guy that's a possible trade candidate, and uh, I think that would require quite a bit of foresight from from your organization to you know look ahead and say, well, you know, we know what that contract is going to look like coming up. Like, is that something that we really want to do? But uh, I just think it's tough to uh, like a guy like Josh Richardson. I like him quite a bit. I think he's a good basketball player, but. Is he worth four for fifty-two, or four for fifty, or four for forty-eight, or four for forty-six? Whatever it is, like, is he worth that? If I'm constructing a lineup, like, uh, we talk again and again how much I hate that zone, like that zone of contracts. Just you know that to me, that's that's just somewhere where you're very rarely going to find value because you have to to be worth double digits you have to be a really good basketball player. You probably have to be playing, you know, 30 plus minutes a night and you probably can't just be, um, you know, just a role player. Like you have to be something more to have more value than a 10 million dollar contract per year. And, you know, when you look at guys like Delhi, like Henson, and again, Brogdon's better than both those guys. But when you look at them, there's only, go- there's only going to be so much they can contribute. Because they're not going to be one of the top five guys in usage on the team. They're, they're not going to be someone that you build things around uh, offensively. So, you know, how do you try to get that type of value uh, out of that contract? And I think that's part of what makes uh, trying to decide on an extension for Brogdon really difficult. And uh, Brian Windhorst has mentioned the red flags on his foot before. And, you know, I, I just think you have to think through that. And to me, an extension for Brogdon before the year, um, might be a good way to do right by Malcolm Brogdon, but doing right by Malcolm Brogdon is not your responsibility as a franchise. <laughs> doing right by your franchise is your responsibility as a franchise. So, um, you know, if you can have them for a small cap hold next summer and, uh, you know, have the possibility of resigning them and, you know, maybe make that take a little bit longer and see if he is able to get another deal out there because I don't know what his value is, but like you said, if you want Malcolm Brogdon for that price, you have to believe he's a starter. And I would need to see something more from him to believe that he's a starter or a point guard. Um, and he could have it in him. Uh, that that could still be something that he could do, but I, I don't know. And uh, as far as guard rotation goes, I think Bledsoe gets 30 to 32 a night. Uh, no, probably 30. He probably gets about 30 a night. Tony Snell probably gets... 25 to 28 a night uh and i mean i think in an ideal world you find a way to stagger brogdon somehow into a majority of the minutes that those two guys sit out and then uh i think it 
Uh, you brought up a good point. I wonder how far Delhi falls down this depth chart because Delhi does very much not seem like a Mike Boonholzer kind of guy. Uh, you know, he will play tough defense and do all those things. And uh, those are things that Jason Kidd t- tended to get caught up on. But uh, I mean, I think Dante DiVincenzo is a Mike Boonholzer guy. <laughs> Certainly seemed very excited about him on draft night. So uh, does he look to try to get his young guy uh, a little bit of time? Does he maybe like Sterling Brown better than Matthew Dallavadova? Uh, and does that mean, you know, you move him a little bit differently and find a way for Sterling Brown to take minutes at the two and find a way for Brogdon to get more minutes at the one? Like, uh, I think there's a chance Delhi falls pretty far out of this rotation. So um, that would be kind of where I'm at on all of that. On the topic of Mike Boonholz or point guards, you mentioned Bloodstone and, uh, and his minutes. So the last five seasons in Atlanta – um, Jeff Teague, the first three years, Schroeder, the last two years. Uh, Teague's minutes, 32 minutes, 30.5 minutes, 28.5 minutes. Last two years, uh, Dennis Schroeder, as average, 31 minutes. So not exactly big minute guy. And again, those guys aren't like superstar point guards, obviously, but um, but not huge minute guys. And I think with Bledsoe in particular, you know, given his – health history right i think his you know, his lack of things in his knee meniscus um yeah i mean but and that sort of thing like the bucks got lucky with bledsoe's health he had an that ankle injury and that sort of like weird period at the end of january where he looked totally like not himself for like a week yeah. or so and he kind of came back and played really well the rest of the season so um but yeah i think managing his minutes and keeping him on on lower minutes is actually a, a generally a positive thing because i think we saw last year he was really effective you know because he wasn't playing 40 minutes a game and yep. obviously with his energy you know especially you want him you don't want to give him an excuse not to give it all his all especially on the defensive end um so uh chris p bacon <laughs> chris p bacon at your buddy pat asks what is chris middleton what is middleton and snow what do middleton and smells three point attempts Per game look like in Bud's system. How do you divide up the minutes at center? Does Dante get Dante get any run at point? Um, I hope Dante doesn't get any run at point because I don't really see any reason to think he can play the point. Um, yeah. But I think probably the more interesting question is the Snell and Middleton three point attempt numbers um, to provide a, a quick baseline of what those were last year. Uh, um, I'm just bringing it up real quick. I'm pretty Chris sure was four point like four point nine three point attempts per thirty six minutes. Tony Snell four point seven three point attempts per thirty six minute. Uh, Eric Bledsoe the highest number among the regulars at five point six three point attempts per thirty six minutes. Um, I would go. Oh, I really want to say both over seven. It's a healthy bump, and, and I, I guess that to me it just feels like. That is very much what Mike Budenholzer would think. Uh, and I think when you look at this Bucks team, uh, it's not just that they need to shoot more to get to a level that was respectable next year. Like every year teams shoot more threes so like the bucks have have to catch up to where they should have been last year and then they have to catch up even further to what they need to be this year so um i think you're i think you're really going to see them really kind of focus on that and, and try to find a way to uh get those two guys more threes and you know maybe tony snell it won't be as big of a priority but i really do think you're going to see chris uh shoot a lot more threes this year and that really be a priority for him and seven is a healthy bump um but you know there 
there's guys that shoot a lot more threes than that. <laughs> uh, especially like when you look at someone who Chris is often in uh, comp to and Clay Thompson, like Clay Thompson's number is almost double that. Um, so you do kind of wonder just how far it'll go, but I, I'll say both over seven three point attempts per 36 minutes. Torian Prince last year for the Hawks had a nice jump. He was at 6.7 three pointers attempted per 36 minutes. Uh, Schroeder, only 4.5, but he also has a bad three-point shooter, only 29%. So I don't know how much we read into that. Um, Ken Bazemore bounced back last year, 39% from three, shot five and a half um, per 36. So again, I, you know, I think you'll see both guys shoot more threes. Um, also, I, I don't know. I would like Chris Middleton just isn't wired like Clay Thompson. Sure. Like I feel like at this point, like maybe if Chris Middleton grew up in the Warriors system or something like that, maybe he would. You know, I, well, I think he would take more threes, um, but I don't think he would be like Clay Thompson. I, I think just his, just their brains are just wired differently for better or worse. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously Chris needs to shoot more threes. That that's that's clear. 